As we continue in our summer journey series uh, through the summer, we've just really been taking a look at some of personally our favorite scriptures and just where we are in life in general. And last week, if you happen to be with us, Charles Partney gave a great word. Uh, it was really challenging to me. And I would encourage you, just as my wife said, go to YouTube, subscribe, and you can get that if you haven't heard it uh, and read up on it because or listen to it. It is just an amazing message. And, and it's been fun this summer uh, just to really kind of dive into that. And so this morning, you know, I want to prepare you because I want to talk about this idea of faithfulness. Um, and, and I'll be honest with you up front, um, as I was preparing for this, I'm a quotes person. So I always look for like these quotes and one-liners. I just love them and I stash them away. And as I was thinking about this week and thinking about the idea of faithfulness, I came across this quote and this is what it said. It said, a message prepared in a mind will touch a mind. But a message prepared in a life will change a life. And I thought that was so good as I was thinking about that and thinking about the idea of faithfulness. I really kind of just wanted to structure today's message around that idea and really just talk with you about what faithfulness is to me, what it's been in my life, and even just share some personal stories. And I'll be honest with you, some struggles that I've gone through in my life and how it relates to faithfulness. Uh, and I hope that you just catch along because I believe that all of us you know, have these times in our lives, we have these moments. But I want to start this way this morning, and it's just simply this. When we think of the word faithfulness, often we relegate it specifically to God. And that's not wrong, because faithfulness is his characteristic. I mean, we just sang that song, I will build my life upon him as the foundation, right? I mean, that he is faithful. When you hear about it or talk about it, we've probably said that before in our lives, that God is faithful. He's so faithful, he sent Jesus to die for us and in our place. And so it's easy to connect faithfulness to God. And I think it's important that we do that. But I think too often within the church, we fail to realize that God wants to instill faithfulness in us as a characteristic, as a value of our lives. And so too often, we just overlook that and we don't really apply what that means to our lives. And so I wanna walk you through this. And I've just over my life kind of developed a definition of faithfulness on my own. So don't like take this to the bank. And if you're in school or class or something like that and the teacher asks you for the definition of faithfulness, if you give these to her, you're pro she's probably gonna look at you or he's gonna look at you and go, no, that's not right. But this is just mine. So hang in with me. And the first one is just simply this. It's endurance, right? Faithfulness is endurance. The second one is crashing through the quitting points in life, right? Just going all at it, just developing a mentality that I'm not going to give in. And then the final one is that a long obedience in the same direction. And I feel like the Church of America and the church in general, we've done a really, really great job of calling people to follow God. And I think that's tremendous and I love it. But where I think as a church at times we fall short is, is that we haven't made a call for people to be obedient to the call of God. I think it's important to follow God, don't get me wrong, but to be obedient to what he asks of us and what he calls from us. And so I wanna start this morning with a scripture found in Matthew, and I wanna set this up for you because I want you to understand this is Jesus talking, and he's talking to the disciples about the end time, and I don't know what your belief is, whether you believe we're living in the end times or, or whatever it is. That's, that's a totally different message that we could get into, but whatever it is, I want you to listen to the final statement that Jesus 
Jesus makes. And then that's where we're going to jump off from this morning. So it's Matthew chapter 24, verses 10 through 13. says this. It says, Many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. But here it is. Listen to this. But the one who endures till the end will be saved. The one who endures till the end will be saved. Early on in my life, I would have probably steered very, very far away or clear of this scripture. But as my life has just gone through and I've had the privilege of serving in student ministries for over 16 years, um, I, I just come to love that scripture. And often I get asked this, Brian, they go, Brian, you've been in youth ministry for so long. Why don't you, you know, just lead a church? Like, why aren't you desiring to lead a church? And I tell people this all the time. I say, I love students. I love young adults. I don't love adults that much. Um, no, I'm just playing. I love you all. I do. But there's just something in me. There's a passion that God has placed in my life. The call on my life is to serve this generation, to serve students. And I believe not to build myself up, but I believe the reason God has placed this in me is because I've developed a passion simply for this, is I want to be an example to this next generation of what it looks like to live faithfully committed to God, no matter what. It is, and I wanna show our students what that is, and my hope is, is that we're a church that defines the very sentence that is made by Jesus right here, that we will endure no matter what we face. And hear me, I don't wish harm or bad things upon anyone or this church in general, but I just understand that sometimes to grow, sometimes to become all that God has called you or is destined us to be as individuals and as a church means that sometimes we have to go through some challenging things to get there because challenge brings growth. And so I've just determined in my life through the years that I've been through that I'm going to be committed and I hope my life speaks of faithfulness to God. And I want that over this generation because I hear too often that the youth are tomorrow's church when the reality is simply this. They're the church of today. If we don't do something to show them who God is and what he means to us, we're going to miss out on a whole generation. And so we need as individuals, as husbands and fathers and mothers and daughters and grandparents, you just go through the whole gamut if you want. I don't have to say it. We need to lead this next generation, and find out what it is. And so I want to share with you just real quickly, just a little bit of backstory so you know where I'm coming from this morning. You may know me. You may have been able to hear some of my story before. And so I'm not going to go into my family story. If you want to talk with me, I'd love to sit down and have coffee with you and just share what God has done in my life. Uh, If you would love to do so, I'd be honored. But I want to take you about seven years ago, my wife and I had the privilege, maybe a little more than that, to serve at a church in Kentucky. And things were going extremely well. I will tell you, our youth ministry was thriving. God was doing some amazing things. We were having opportunities within the community that I never believed we would ever have. But in the process of all of that going on, our church as a whole was beginning to just have some major struggles. 
uh, within the leadership team. Not that anybody was out to get anybody or anything like that. It was just the enemy doing what the enemy does best. And he was just bringing in some division, some discord, and some things were just getting really, really chaotic to the point that, you know, we were getting blamed for things that weren't our fault. We were, you know, I'll be honest, we weren't always the best. You know, we were kind of upset with some of the decisions that were being made within the church. And so all of this to say, you know, we just got so frustrated with what the ministry is. And we walk in to our pastor's office one day and he does that famous line of, you know, we love you guys. We appreciate you so much, but I think we're going to move in a different direction, which is just code for you're fired. Uh, and so, so we, you know, we're walking out of this and I remember having conversations with my wife going, I don't know if I want to be in ministry anymore. I don't know if I want to you know, do this with my life. I know God is, has called me or asked me to do this, but I'm just, I'm not buying in right now. I want to just throw in the towel. Honestly, I just want to go somewhere and not have to think about it. I'll work for my dad, even though me and him would probably butt heads just as much. I said, but I wouldn't have to worry about what it is in the church world. And I was so discouraged, so distraught. And I was honestly thinking about just giving up. And as God would have it, and only he could do, we came across this man, his name was Mark Smith, and little did I know how much I would love this man, because he was planning a church in the Virginia area, close to D.C., where we grew up, and so it was just like this perfect fit. He was like, hey, I want you to come be a part of the church plant that we're going. We're meeting here. I've got a couple other people on the team, and we're just really going to do this thing together. And in my head, I'm going, all right, thank you, God. I was ready to throw in the towel, but you stepped in, you provided this option. And so in my head, these amazing things took place. Like I could just so see myself sitting under this man's leadership, watching the church just grow and just become amazing. And things started off great. We loved being a part of the team and all that good stuff. And about eight months in, unknowing to anyone, Pastor Mark had a stroke and died of complications from the stroke. And so in my mind, immediately, here I go, is, is, God, why would you allow something like this? You know all the questions that go in that. I was just feeling like this was going to be that healing place where I could come in and I could really get my feet back under me and understand what it is you want me to do and really launch off and do some great things for you. Why would this happen? And I was at a place where I really struggled with it. And one of the other pastors on our team stepped up and took the reins as lead pastor because I told you, I'm all about students, adults, you're on your own. No. Uh, but, and so things started to pick up. And so here we go again. There was like a ramp, you know, and we were ready to go and launch off. And about a year, year and a half after he took over, it came to light that he was having an affair with someone else on staff. And so all of a sudden, this church that was supposed to be the healing point for me, that was supposed to be this, you know, revival to what God has called me to do is in shambles. And I told you, I wanted to be with students. And all of a sudden, for eight months, I had to lead a church. I didn't know how to lead a church because I never wanted to lead a church. And so I was thrust into this position all the time battling again this notion of, God, I don't know if I want to do this. Again, having some of the conversations of God, I'm just done. Can this be it, man? I'm, I'm going to call my dad. I'm going to go work for him and figure this out. But I just don't want to be a part of this. 
And through this all, God just began to do something in my life and speak to me about this idea of faithfulness, about the idea of not quitting, about enduring and fighting and pushing past the moments in life because he had something greater in mind than I could ever imagine. And as you would imagine, and you can probably picture, we've had the privilege of being here now for over four years, and we just love it. We love being a part of this. And I know all of you are scared right now because you're like, it seems like every church you go to falls apart. What's going to happen <laughs> to this one now? And, uh, and I'm just telling you, we are good. We love the team that we get to work with. Things are great here. We get to see what God's doing here. And I believe it's because of the shift that what I went through, not that it was easy, not that it was something that I would love to walk through again. If I could go back and change it, I would a million times over. But the reality is, is God taught me this idea of faithfulness and how to endure till the end. Because when I endure, when we endure, when you endure till the end, the Bible declares that we will be saved. Or a better way to put it is, is we will be rescued. We will be rescued and I don't know about you, but there are times in my life that I need God to rescue me. And that's why it's important to understand that he is a God that is faithful. And he will always be there for us. And he will always rescue us. Look, these are some scriptures that just define that for us right here. 1 John 1, 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And so we can understand that God is always going to be there for us to provide and pick us up. But there's this component that's our part, that God wants to develop faithfulness in us. And you might be going, well, Brian, what does faithfulness even have to do with everyday life? Think about it like this. We want faithfulness in these arenas in our lives, right? We want faithfulness in our marriage or our future marriage, right? No one wakes up in the morning and goes, you know what? It'll be okay if my spouse is unfaithful today. We don't. And I don't say that to knock marriage. I don't say that, but that's an area that we demand that. We want faithfulness in our families, right? We want to be able to support one another and love each other and fight for one another. Too often in our culture, that's not the case. Families fight against each other more than they're with each other, right? We want faithfulness in our job. And you're going, Brian, if you were in my job, you would understand it's impossible to be faithful to my job. Because uh, I do the same thing every day. Uh, but we want that. We want to be faithful. We want people that are faithfully committed to their jobs, right? We want to be faithful in fulfilling life, right? To, to whatever your dream is, whatever your destiny, you want to be committed to that dream. Some of you, you might have gotten to the point where you've thrown in the towel on your dream. I would encourage you, pick it back up. Don't lose it. And then the final one is, is we want to be faithful in our walk with God, right? We understand that. We want to have faithfulness in these areas. And so I want to take a look and, and I want to help you understand this morning. I want to look at a couple scriptures real quick of the command of faithfulness in our life, that God desires faithfulness to be in there. So you can see that it's not just me saying this, but that there is truth behind this. 
The first one's in Luke 16, 10. It says this, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are not trustworthy in these little things, you won't be trustworthy with the greater responsibilities. And then I love Proverbs 3, 3. It says this, let not steadfast love and what? Faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on, a ta- on the tablet of your heart. I love that because he could have said anything. He could have said love and surrender, love and whatever. But he says love and faithfulness are the thing to just hang around your life. God desires faithfulness from us and he wants us to be faithful people and so much so that he says it in Matthew chapter 25, 21. And I believe and I pray this over every person in this room that when we meet Jesus face to face for the first time, this is what is spoken over us. Listen to this. And on that day, the Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joys of your Lord, right? And again, he could have said anything in that moment. He could have said, well done, my good and popular person. Well done, my good and great speaker. But he says, no, he says, good and faithful servant. That speaks to the value that God carries on faithfulness. And so I just want to take you through four things this morning that I've discovered in my life are the keys to faithfulness. And the first one's just simply this, faithfulness in the dull, boring, and unmotivated seasons, right? How many would say I'm in that season right now? My life is dull, it's boring. See, nobody's raising their hand, you're lying. So, but the reality is simply this, we all have those moments in our lives, right? What I find so fascinating is this, is that human nature does not do well with repetition, yet most of us don't like change either, right? Isn't that like, doesn't that fascinate you? That there's something inside of us that we cannot fathom doing the same thing over and over and over again because we get bored. But if we change it, we get frustrated because we change it. Uh, And so it, it just amazes me that that's built within us. But there is this desire to not be bored in life, right? And some of us, we get to those places. I would be lying if I told you there aren't seasons and moments of my life right now that I wake up and I go, I really got to do this again? Like, I've got to have the same conversation with Kyle all over again. I just had that conversation with him a week ago, and I got to have it again because he's not listening. (laughs) No, Kyle's great. I love Kyle. I just, I always love to pick on a few of the students when they're in here because we have fun with that. But there are those moments in our lives that, that it's just that. You know, and I want you to take a look at Hebrews 13, 8, because it says this. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? You've probably quoted that before. You might have even said that to someone in hopes of encouraging them and just helping them. But really think about that for a moment. Jesus's character is the same. And let me submit an idea to you. Do you think that Jesus ever gets bored because of the sameness that his character necessitates? Like, I mean, he has to do the same thing. Don't you ever just wonder, I like to just play it out in my mind and picture, and Jesus is up in heaven, and he's going, you know what, God, Father, uh, you're awesome, and you're good, and you've set all this in place, and it's cool, but today, today, just today, 
can I do the role of the Holy Spirit? You know, because I've been doing the same thing forever, literally forever. And so I would just, just for today, I want to do the role of the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, I know that doesn't happen, but it's fun to think that way sometimes because I think for all of us, we need to begin to understand that if we want to get good at anything, we have to do it enough that it becomes boring to us. See, I love sports. I'm a junkie when it comes to that, so I always compare things to sports. And when you go back and you listen to some of the interviews and even talk with some of the athletes and especially the greats, they will tell you that there has come a point in their life, they've done things so much, they've been so repetitious with their training and regimens and all that stuff that it gets boring to them, but it's because of their faithfulness, their endurance, their stick with it is, if that's even a word, um, to that program, to that training that's enabled them to be who they are. Sure, there's a natural ability in people. There's a natural ability in you and I. God has placed things within us, but we have to be okay with doing those things over and over and over again to see the end result of that. Sometimes it means that it will get boring. And I know some of you are like, man, that stinks. I didn't think Christianity would ever get boring. It It doesn't in the end, but in moments, in seasons, it can get boring. It can get challenging. But we have to be willing to fight through that. Fight through that because this is another one of those one-liners that came across to me. Apathy is the greatest killer of a person's destiny. Not failure this morning. Apathy. A laziness, an unwillingness to do what's needed. Can I tell you something? The right choices in your life today will eventually bring the right emotions. The right choices, if you live and do the right choices now, the right emotions will follow. But yet in our world, they tell us that we're to live by our feelings. Well, if it feels good, go ahead and do it. If it seems right, go ahead and buy into it. And we've built our decision-making based on how we feel versus on what we should be. And so we constantly go in whatever field it is. Well, you know, my job sucks today. So I'm just not going. And some of you are like, man, I wish it was that easy. Uh, But we do that or I'm going to change or I'm going to do whatever. I mean, honestly, sometimes we wake up and go, you know what, God, being a Christian isn't very fun right now. So I think I'm not going to be a Christian. I'm not going to serve you today. I'm not going to buy in to all that you are today, just because it's not really panning out the way I thought it should. And we just move on. And we've got to understand that there's, there's a desire for God because he wants to develop something within us. And sometimes the only way to do that is to go through some of the very same things over and over again. Not because he's a mean God, not because he wants to punish you, just because he wants to develop faithfulness as a value in your life, as a characteristic in your life, because he knows what's coming down the road. And he knows that if you don't have faithfulness, you're not going to live up to the potential that he has called for you to live up to. And he wants you to get there. The second thing is simply this, is that you become faithful in the hard and crushing times. Some of you, you understand that. You've been through or are currently going through probably one of the most difficult things in your life. 
for me in that moment in my life, it was crushing. It destroyed everything that I thought was good. But take a look at Galatians 6, 9. It says this, it says, let us not grow weary in doing what is right. For at the right time, we will reap a full harvest if we do not give up and quit. See, I think that's the problem in today's generation is, is we quit way too early, right? And going back to my sports reference, you talk to any true champion, they will tell you that pain is seasonal. Some of you are looking at me going, this is a really long season, Brian. And you might be right, but it's seasonal. And pain is often the stepping stone to promotion. It is often that moment that you have to go through to grow or to move forward in life. And I want you to understand that. I want to read a quote from Teddy Roosevelt. And it's become one of my favorite quotes. It just simply says this. It says, the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. To the man who spends himself on a worthy cause, at his best, he will know the triumph of achievement. And at his worst, if he fails, he will fail daring greatly. See, I think we've bought into this lie that failing is final, right? Even in the Christian world, that if we don't live up to whatever standard we've set, that that's it, that it's over. Can I tell you this morning, failure is not final. Quitting is what is final. When you choose to throw in the towel, you choose to give up in whatever circumstance you're facing, you choose to throw away what God has spoken over you, that's when it becomes final. Failure has never been final in God's eyes. If that's the case, he wouldn't have raised people from the dead. He wouldn't have promoted people to leadership that should have never been in leadership. Look at David being the perfect example. King David in the Bible, I love his life, but look at him, he was a failure by world standards, and yet God continued to promote him and move his life forward because failure doesn't define anything in life other than it's a mistake to get up from. Quitting is what ends it. And for some of you this morning, you need to take that and you need to just run with that and go, you know what? I failed at everything I did, but guess what? It's not over because I'm not giving up, I'm not quitting, I'm gonna continue to fight, I'm gonna continue to move forward. And that leads me to the next one is simply this, faithfulness and having faith, right? And some of you are gonna disagree with this next statement I make, but I think when you think about it and you really process it, you'll go, you know what, you're right. But it's simply this, he who has never truly doubted has never truly believed. He who has never truly doubted has never truly believed. See, again, look at David's life. I love just how he is, right? He writes these great songs and poems to God where he's going, God, where are you? I'm dying, I'm stuck in mud. Every one of my enemies are prospering. They're doing great. I'm losing in every area of life. I'm failing at everything I do. You're not around. I don't get it. Where are you, God? And then like he takes a breath 
And he comes back and goes, man, you're great, God, because you just came in. You rescued me. You saved me from this mud pit. You picked me up. You destroyed all the enemies around me. This is so amazing. I don't know how you did it, but you did it. You're so cool and wonderful. And I'm going, what draws someone to get to that place? And it dawned on me as I was thinking about this is that David wrestled with doubt his whole life. And I think some of us, we get scared of that word. And we get fearful because if we begin to doubt God, that means we don't believe in who he is. And can I tell you something? It's not the doubt that God's fearful of. It's when doubt leads your life is when it becomes trouble. God's a big boy. I tell students this all the time. He's a big man. He can take your doubts, right? He understands that there are times in your life where you're gonna go, God, I don't know where you are. I can't see you working in my situation, in my circumstance. I can't see you doing anything. Where are you? And then he'll show up and he'll do something. It's when you start defining and looking at everything with the lens of doubt and you start going, well, God, you're gonna have to prove to me who you are before I'll give you anything. That's when it becomes dangerous. Take a look at this story in Luke, or excuse me, in Mark chapter nine. Because this is the story of the man who brought his son who was deathly ill to Jesus, and he's begging Jesus to heal his son. And Jesus asked him, do you believe? And he's saying, do you believe that I can do this? And listen to this man's response. And it's Mark 9, 24. It says this, And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help though my unbelief. And the story goes on to tell us that because of his honesty, because of that approach with Jesus, he didn't try and hide the fact that he was struggling and believing who Jesus was and what he was able to do. Jesus healed his son. See, God's not fearful of your doubts. I heard an old saying that says it this way, you know, doubts like birds in the sky, they're always gonna be flying above you. They're always gonna be around. The problem is, is when the birds begin to nest in your hair. And that's the truth with doubt. When doubt begins to be what you determine everything in life by, that's when it's the problem. It's not the problem when you're going, God, I just... I wanna see you do something. Why haven't you done something? I'm a little scared here, God, that you're not seeing me, you're not hearing me. God doesn't run away from those things. In fact, if anything we see from this story, he clings to those people. His desire is to get close to those people and show them who he is. And so being faithful, even when we don't have that faith, saying, God, I know, I know my situation looks bleak. I know it looks like everything's falling around. And and if I'm honest with you, I can't see you anywhere. But I'm gonna trust on what your word says. I'm gonna trust in your character and who you are. I'm gonna trust that I've built my life on you. And even though everything may fall around me, everything may fade away, my foundation, you, you're not going anywhere. You're gonna be with me during this time. And then the last one I have this morning is simply this. Faithfulness when my commitments become costly. And Revelations 2.10 says this. says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. But here's, here's the good news because that sounds like a bunch of bad news. 
but be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful unto death. And I know that doesn't sound a pleasing, sound very pleasing, but this is what God's saying in that moment. This is what he's speaking. He's saying this, there are a lot of great starters in the kingdom of God, but there are not a lot of great finishers. Be a finisher, be faithful, be committed even unto death. Maybe that's the death of your popularity. Maybe it's the death of your pride. Maybe it's the death of whatever is inside of you, insecurity, whatever it is, but be faithful to God in those moments because that's when he can come in and give you exactly what you need. See, I wanna close this morning with a true story. And it's one of my favorite stories in scripture. Some of you, you may have heard it before, not in scripture, but in history, excuse me. And some of you may have heard it, you may not, but I want you to really just kind of go with me to this moment and just be in it. And so basically, is in about 320 AD, history tells us that the emperor of Rome sends out this edict. And he sends it out to all of Rome, including their soldiers and all the territories that they have occupied at this point. And he commands that everyone under his reign and authority must worship him, sacrifice to pagan gods that he has set up. And there are 40 men of an elite fighting regiment in the Imperial Roman army that are Christ followers. And so they hear this edict this command from their emperor. And they know what's coming, and so they send him a note, and the note simply says this, Emperor, we will fight for you. We will go to war for you. We will go to battle for you. We will bleed for you. We will even die for you. But we cannot worship anyone other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you can imagine, the emperor gets furious in this moment. But he sees how valuable these 40 men are because they're some of the greatest soldiers in the army. And so he sends word and begs them once again and says, please reconsider. I'm just asking you to bow to me to worship these idols that I've set up. And the men without failure respond immediately and say, again, we'll go to war for you, we'll die for you, we'll bleed, we'll do anything for you except denounce Jesus and worship these idols. The emperor again, seeing the value of these men, sends word back trying to push them and says, I'll give you 24 hours to decide what you're gonna do. But if you don't come in line with the commands that I have given, I will send another legion of soldiers to come and they will round you up and they will put you in the center of town. And at this point in history, it was winter. And the town that they were at in the center of the town was a froze, frozen lake. And the emperor said this. He said, I will round all 40 of you up. I will strip you down to hum humiliate you in front of all the town. And I will have the soldiers march you out to the center of the ice. And you will stand in the center of that ice until you denounce your faith in Jesus Christ, or you die. The men, knowing that this was gonna come, still did not cave to the demands. So the emperor, 
after the 24-hour period, sends this second legion to come. They get to the town. They round up the 40 men, and right there in front of everybody in the crowds of the town, they strip them down. And in a sense of irony, the king had sent candles for each of the 40 men, and he told the soldiers to let them know that as you walk out onto this ice and face your death, maybe your God, by the warmth of this one candle, will keep you alive. And so as history would have it, it plays out. They round up the men, they strip them down and they march them out to the center of the ice. And here they are, first thing in the morning, completely nude on a frozen lake. And they begin to stand there and history tells us that the men, as they're out there, they gather together and squeeze in for the body warmth and they begin to sing a hymn to Jesus. And as they sing that hymn, some are beginning to be encouraged in their spirit. But as the day continues to go on, one drops and then another drops. And you can hear some of the cries of the men that are laying on the ice. They're begging for death because it's just becoming too painful. And as the day goes longer and longer, more men fall one after another, after another, till there's about five or six left and they're standing there. By this point, their candles are gone. There's nothing there. Darkness is beginning to set. And as you can imagine, in a cold winter like that, temperatures drop dramatically. The wind is so much more harassing on their bodies. And they're standing there, they're shivering, they're freezing. They're standing in the midst of their other friends that are dead or dying at their feet. And yet they're remaining faithful and they're standing there and then another one drops and another one drops and another one drops until there's one man left standing and he's standing in the midst of all of this. And history doesn't tell us what snapped in his mind. It doesn't tell us or give us any indication what happened, but I think we can all relate to a moment of when we said we would never do something yet we find ourselves doing the very thing we said we wouldn't do. And for whatever reason, this man begins to run off the ice. And as he's running off the ice, he goes, I denounce Jesus Christ. I denounce Jesus Christ. And the soldiers that were guarding those 40 men at this point were drunk. They had lit a fire. They had blankets around the fire. And they see this man come running at them. And they just go ballistic. They pick up the blankets, they wrap him up, they embrace him, they just love on him, they throw this party because here's this guy, he finally caved, he finally came in off the ice. But what they failed to realize is that across the ice, their leader, not the emperor, but the commander of the other legion that had been brought in to guard them had been standing there all day watching the faithfulness of the 39 men. And as the one man began running off the ice, denouncing Jesus, he began to declothe himself and walk on to the ice. And no one would have known except for about halfway to the pile of men, the leader shouts out, I choose Jesus Christ. I choose Jesus Christ. And the men immediately heard his voice and recognized it and were in awe. And the next morning when the sun 
rose. It wasn't 39 dead men on the ice, but it was 40. You might be going, Brian, why would you share a story like that? I think it's pretty simple. We don't know who's watching our lives. See, the reality for this leader, this man, something, the faithfulness of those 39 soldiers spoke to his heart, something that no sermon could have ever done, no message could have ever done, but it was the faithfulness of those 39 men that registered something in his heart that he knew he had to give his life to Jesus, even if it meant literally giving his life. And for you and I this morning, we don't know who's watching. Maybe it's the person at work. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's someone right here in the seats next to you that is watching, that knows the ice that you're on this morning. And they're watching to see what you do. My challenge to you this morning is simply this. Don't come off the spiritual ice. Be faithful in a world of fickle people, right? See, here's the reality, and this is gonna sound harsh, but I want you to really get it. There are too many fair weather friends of God. Don't be another one. There are too many people that when things are going well, Jesus is the best person in the world. But when things start to fall apart, I don't wanna have anything to do with him. And what we don't realize is, is the example we set for those around us. Our faithfulness can be the catalyst of somebody else's relationship with Jesus.